Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. I want to talk to you a little bit about um, the power and the importance of understanding the value of your valleys. Amen? So we, we've been kind of around this camping discipleship. We're moving in a direction of journey, and um, that's why we're promoting group. If you don't have a life group, you're going to hear it. Um, if you don't have, if you're not in a Bible study during the week to encourage your spiritual life, you need to do that. You're going to hear us talking and encouraging spirit life classes on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Those are not classes for people that have just first become Christians. Those are for people that want to get deeper into their spiritual walk. Amen. How many know the deep things are the most important things? Amen. I know the world sells everything that has veneer and flash, but eventually you find out what the world is selling is not what it's advertised to be. Amen. And it's really the deep and the basic and the things that are rooted that have the most value in life. And so today I want to talk to you about the, va- the value of the valley. So would you stand with me and let's just go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 and we'll move along quickly. Um, I'm just grateful that God has chosen to do such great things with all that's going on here. I'm celebrating today birthdays I hear about. I'm celebrating um, anniversaries. I'm celebrating all kinds of things I'm hearing about in this church. Celebrating friends that we got to meet with and have dinner with last night. Um, Just want to give you a quick update. Ellen and Steve Cox are are going through some physical ailments, but uh, we got to have dinner with them last night and they will be back. Amen, somebody? They're just getting some things taken care of and doctor's appointments and and a a little bit of life, you know, kind of steamrolling them a little bit. But um, everybody's busy is everybody's busy. Amen. We all have busy. And uh, so we just want you to keep praying for them. And anybody else that you know of, let me know. I'll put them on my prayer list. So Romans 8 and 18, we're done with preliminaries, and I want to go right to the word. Everybody say the word of the Lord. It says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. And that's King James Version, which is fine. I'll read from there. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. The next verse says, For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal his reveal who his children really are. Against verse twenty, against its will, all creation was rejected to God's curse. But with eager hope, verse twenty one, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Did you know that we are free from death and decay through Christ Jesus? Amen, somebody. Verse 22, for we, know, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Verse 23, and we believers also grown, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as the foretaste of future glory. I want to say future glory. 
Amen. That's going to be important in just a few minutes. For we long for the bodies to for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait. Everyone say wait. Oh man, God's waiting room is tough, isn't it? Wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights and his adopted as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Verse 24, we were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something we don't need to hope for, if we already have something we don't need to hope for, but if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently or wait on the Lord. Amen, somebody. Anybody ever been in the waiting room? Yeah, we're still waiting, some of us, on some things that we prayed about. Amen. Let's talk a little bit about being in the valley. Lord, we ask you just to strengthen us, to help us, Lord God, to understand that mountaintop experiences are just as important as valley experiences. And we ask you just to help us and define for us the refining that you do in our life. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. Kind of looking toward man up, amen. In a couple weeks, we're going to be in the mountains in Montana. I'm going to do my best to forget civilization and uh, turn off every electronic and just kind of just refocus and, and re, I don't know, repurpose some, some purpose in my life, I guess. That's a good word to use. But I found out that there's value in uh, pulling away and taking moments. But I noticed that it's not called man down. It's called man up. We don't focus on the valleys very often in people's lives. We focus on the high points. Have you ever been talking to somebody and they just have a way of over-talking uh, over every single thing? And so they're telling you a story and they just continue on with the story and you're losing the point. And at some point you get kind of frustrated and a little bit anxious and you kind of go, just, hey, just tell me the high points. Have you ever done that? Just, just tell me the high points. That's, that's all I need. And sometimes my wife, whenever she asks me what I'm preaching on Sunday, she'll say, just, just give me the high points and then I'll, I'll make the slides. And so I, I sometimes find myself just focusing on the high points in life, flying through life at 30,000 feet. Anybody been there? Just trying to get life done and do what's important. But I want you to know that there are things in life that are more important than just the high points, than just the mountaintops. I know there's great things that happen on the mountaintops. In fact, people don't take typically study or find out places to go when they're going on vacation. They don't search going to the seven wonders of the world that are valleys, okay? There's only one place where most everybody goes, and that's the Grand Canyon. If you've never been to the Grand Canyon, you walk up to the Grand Canyon, you go, wow, okay, we can go. <laughs> That's pretty much the Grand Canyon because it's just this huge hole in the earth, right? It's beautiful, it's gorgeous, and some people make a full trip out of it, the Fromsteins, but there's, our, there's some folks that, you know, will hike into the canyon. Some folks decide to canoe down the canyon, but depending on what you do with the valley is up to you, but most people, when they decide to do something amazing, they either tr they traverse one of the seven summits on the seven different continents. They, they decide that they're going to scale the highest points on on planet Earth. Anybody know of these places in Australia? Mount Kazuyaski? Is that how you say that? Kazuyaski, 7,000 feet in 
its rise from the earth. In Antarctica, there's a 16,000, yes, in Antarctica, there's actually a mountain, 16,000 feet high. There's places in Europe that people travel to, and of course, in Asia, Mount Everest at 29,000 feet. Most people that say they're going to do something amazing, if you're standing in a group of people and you're sharing the great things you've done, if someone says, well, I climbed Mount Everest, well, that ends that story. Nobody else is sharing what they've done, because that's kind of the high point, you know, like 10 people well, we went on vacation to Noah's Ark. Oh, well, we went, I'm not looking around the room and picking out anybody, but, and then one guy steps up and says, well, I scaled Mount Everest. Well, then guess what? That guy gets to talk for the next 15, 20 minutes because nobody has something higher. And for some reason, our human nature uh, leans toward high points. But I want us today to focus on the low points. And I want to help somebody that's been in a valley. If you've been in a valley, you know what I'm talking about. The struggle of emotion the weight of the heart, the, the, the tenseness, the stress of the mind when you're going through a valley. They say in scripture, we see it, that there's high points and high places. In fact, some of the most important places in history in the scriptures is found on mountaintops. But I also want you to understand that there are low places that were the most pivotal moments in scripture. In fact, Joseph started his ministry in a pit. Right. Amen, somebody. Someone said pit is just Pentecostal in training or profit in training. <laughs> Uh, I don't know about that, but I think we've all found a, a place in the valley. So what I want you to know is that there are places where you see true stories of greatness in the scripture. But I want you to recognize that whenever you look at Genesis, the bulk of Genesis is not focused on creation. The bulk of Genesis is not focused on the father, the faithful Abraham. It's not focused on some of the other stories, a bare chapters given to Isaac. If you notice in scripture that there's even only a few, a few chapters in Genesis given to Jacob, the surplanter, whose name is changed to Israel and becomes the, the, the patriarch of that, of that land. And then you see several other chapters that are focused on very small things, but the dominant part of Genesis is focused on the life of Joseph. Joseph is, doesn't seem like a life that you'd want to focus on. But what's interesting about Joseph was not the fact that he was rewarded for his dreams or that he was rewarded for saving Israel whenever there was a famine, but God elevated the life of Joseph and gave him so much ink in the book of Genesis because he was faithful in the low points of his life. I want you to know that God looks down with favor on you and looks down with a loving heart all the time. But there's something special in the heart of God whenever somebody goes through the most difficult things of their life and they stay faithful to God. There's something beautiful in the eyes of the Lord and in the economy of God. God loves it when we walk through things and keep him as our strength through the valley of the shadow of death. When we understand that God doesn't leave you even in the hard times and we don't fold our arms and say why is it hard if there is a God why is there difficulties I want you to know that we form questions and we ask why and that is okay but when we ask why we must also follow that up with the understanding that he's a good God he never forsakes me he never leaves me he walks beside me greater is he that is in me the scripture says than he that is in the world amen Amen. 
And as I walk through valleys and places of low points, the point is that I'm faithful to God through it all. And so God chose Joseph to share with us all that he was. We shun, if the truth be told, we shun people that are in the low points of their life. Amen? We maybe don't talk to them a little bit. Maybe, maybe they just want to handle their problems on their own. Maybe we'll just give them some private. We have all kinds of reasons, don't we? But really the thing is, is we're not really comfortable with low points. The pioneers that settled across the western part of the United States found a place that they called the Death Valley. Valleys have a bad reputation, my friends. The low points have bad reputations. In South Dakota, they call it the Badlands. I've already talked to you about the lowest place in the United States, and that is the Grand Canyon. Who knows the names of people that have been successful at the lowest points of their life, that have been faithful and kept their walk with God? I tell you, the world may not know it, but Jesus does. God knows the people that walk through with him even when nobody else would walk with them. I want you to be encouraged today because I, even though man has a value system that only looks at the high points of your life, and when we ask people, well, what are you doing? They share the things that you would be impressed with. I've never walked up to somebody and said, how's it going? They're like, well, I got this diverticulitis that's kicking in, and, and uh, my left foot's got a big old bunion, and yeah, I don't have people. In fact, if you did that, people would be like, okay, <laughs> Woo, praise God, I'm backing up. <laughs> If you start telling me all of your problems when I ask you how you're doing, we notice that that's not a common response. Most of us have a natural response of, well, God's good. My kids are growing up. Things are going well. I'm working a job. Praise God, I'm getting a good paycheck. I'm gainfully employed. You start saying things are the high points. But what I notice is that God gives more ink to the low points in the scripture. And so I wonder if maybe we could take some lessons from the low points today. Would that be all right today? And Jesus, so we see Joseph um, mimicking the, the, the Old Testament version of Jesus in the New Testament. Many have said that Joseph is the Old Testament Jesus in the way that he was sold for silver, number one, that he was betrayed by those that are close to him, number two, and that he was stripped of his garments and they were dipped in blood, amen? And that he also was a person that endured temptation but did not sin. We find that Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers and that the, the, the band of Ishmaelites are coming by. And I love the application that God used Abraham's mistake, the Ishmaelites, to get Joseph to his mission. I love that. Because I feel like sometimes we think that God can't use our mistakes, amen? God can use mistakes in the valleys, amen? And they say that you shouldn't change your course when you're in the, in the valley. Joseph did not change his course. He believed in God. He, he lived the law of God before the law of God was even written. Have you ever thought about that? Joseph was a man after God's heart before David was ever called a man after God's own heart. So we understand that Joseph desired God. So be careful who you see, who you tell your dreams to, but also know that God is the keeper of your dreams. God will take you through. And what I find is sometimes when we hear people's high points is we don't necessarily relate to people's high points because they have things that maybe they've done that we could never do. And the comparison starts kicking in. And, and the Bible says if we compare ourselves one to another, we're not wise, amen? But if you see somebody in their low points, you recognize I've been in a low point before. I know what that's like. I know what this discouragement. It's like, I know what it's like to go through a difficult time. And somehow you relate a little bit more. So Joseph 
seems to be the story that makes sense. At 17 years old, he has dreams. He has things that he sees that God wants to do in his life. His brothers hated him for the dreams. And yet, even though he's sold into Egypt, he's faithful to God. And he works his way up through the prisons and he works his way up through Potiphar's house in reverse order that I've just said. But in times where he, he gets betrayed and he gets lied on and he gets lied about, depending on how you, how, what part of the country you're from, you can say it different ways. And he's, he's just simply going from one problem to another. And it could seem like Joseph is cursed, like he doesn't have the ability to get out. He, he gets in Potiphar's house, works his way up to the top of Potiphar's house, and then Potiphar's wife gets eyes for him and, and then comes after him, and, and he flees the scene and leaves his jacket there, and she lies to Potiphar and says, he tried to advance on me, and I stole his coat, and he ran away, and he goes, gets put into prison, but then in prison, he's helping two other guys with their dreams. Sometimes, I want you to hear me carefully, when God gives you dreams, he might give you the need to help others with their dreams before he helps you fulfill yours. That is a true story because I've helped others with their dreams before God helped me with mine. But I want you to understand the worth of the valley. Sir Edmund Hillary and his Sherpa, Tinsing climbed the Everest, the, the greatest peak that's on the earth. They climbed to the rooftop of civilization, and that is Everest. And when he got there, they spent 15 minutes at the top of Everest after years of planning. It took them years of planning in a valley to make it to the rooftop of, of this world for 15 minutes. And when they got there, they asked him, why did you climb it? And Sir Edmund Hillary said, because it was there. Literally, he said, I wanted to climb it because it was there. And so we have to understand that the history books recorded them for 15 minutes of climbing the highest peak, and they are legends of humanity, but they were only there for 15 minutes. The rest of the time was them planning and learning how to survive the climb. Someone said that there is a lot of people on Mount Everest that were overachievers that didn't make it. Because you have to have a guide, amen? You have to have a guide in your life. And I preach every sermon pointing to this book. Because if you don't have the word of God in your life, you don't have a proper guide, amen? You can be swayed, you can be confused, you can be sold on the charisma of a man or a woman, you can do, have all kinds of things that lead you off the right trail that you're supposed to be on, but if you stay in the word of God, and if you stay in prayer over the word of God, God will keep you from being deceived. He will keep you from being deceived. Amen, somebody. So give me the low points. David fought Goliath in a valley. Did you know that? Shadrach, Meshach, in their lowest moment, was in a furnace of fire. But because of that furnace of fire, that valley, the entire nation served the God that they served. Daniel ended up in a low place, amen, in a lion's den. And God shut up their mouth, and the king came running and said, Daniel, are you alive? And he said, yes, king, live forever. He honored those that were above him, even when those that were above him put him there. Think about the character of Daniel for just a minute. Gideon, in one of the lowest moments in Israel, when the Midianites had sieged all of Israel, 
And an angel shows up to Gideon at a low time, at a low point, and says, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon says, your GPS is off. <laughs> you got the wrong guy. I am not a mighty man of valor. He was hiding behind a wine press, threshing wheat, because the Midianites would come and steal their crops. And so he's like, you got the wrong man. I'm not only the wrong man, but I'm the lowest in my family. My family is the lowest in the tribe, and the tribe that I'm in is the lowest in the Israel. I'm the lowest of the lowest, he said. So you got the wrong person. But God wasn't telling him that I see you for the high points of your life. God was telling him, I see you in your low points, and these low points are going to qualify you for the high moments. Amen, somebody. So what you're going through in the low places gives you the ability to be accomplished in the high places. In other words, high points of accomplishment are impossible without low points of development. High points of accomplishment are impossible without low points of development. I can't say I've made all good decisions in life. I'll tell you that right now. Some of us make some bad decisions. I made a real bad decision by going bear hunting in Alaska. I don't think I'll ever do that again. Um, and the reason why is because I don't like getting flopped around like a little rubber chicken by a grizzly. I, I didn't have that happen. It could have, but it didn't. I told this story a few times. I look at Rob because I remember telling it twice now when he was here. But I decided that I was going to go hunting with a friend of mine who was a guide. I use quotes very carefully. He was a guide. He's going to guide me on this hunt. So we get out there, and we're floating across, and I'm looking at Mount McKinley, one of the largest mountains in the upper hemisphere, and we're floating across this lake that's just a mirror. So you see Mount McKinley in front of you, and it creates its own atmosphere. Got a little bit of cloud at the top, and you look into the river, and you see Mount McKinley again in the lake because it's that smooth. And we're just sailing across this lake, and we're headed to this river, and we're going to float down this river, and we're going to hunt bear on the sides of the banks. This is something they do up there. They put guns and canoes and float down rivers. This is a good thing. That was a bad start. I should have known right then this is going to turn out bad. So I put the gun between my legs, and we're, we're rowing across this beautiful, pristine uh, lake in early morning, and it's crisp out, and it's amazing, and I'm just like enjoying the beautiful things that God's created. And we get to the river, and what we don't realize, because my friend who is a guide, hadn't checked the water levels. And the water levels had come down almost two feet. So what once was a canoeable river now became whitewater rapids. And here we go. We're in the river, and we're whitewater rapiding in a canoe. Does anybody know how bad of an idea that is? Canoes aren't made for whitewater rapids, just in case you didn't know. They do not handle it very well. So we're working so hard. We see carcasses of fish all on the rocks. And we, we know there's bear out there. And this is a hunting story. I get it in the middle of a sermon. But I have my gun ready. I'm rowing. And then we, as we're rowing, we would come out into the non-whitewater rapid area. And we would scrape along the bottom of the river because the water was so low. And I couldn't put my paddle in the water anyways without hitting a fish. That's how many red salmon were in the water. When you looked at the river, it was wasn't blue. It was red because of all the salmon that were underneath. So I'm just slapping fish with oars. That's what I'm doing. This is a good time, right? We're just slapping fish. And so we're moving through, 
all of a sudden we come into this opening with a little island and there he is on the bank, Mr. Grizzly. And I'm, a, I'm like shaking and I'm excited because this is my first real bear hunt and my last um, real bear hunt, yes. And so we get into the opening and, and he sees me and it's still a little bit foggy in the morning. He sees me first and, and I catch him and he's coming to his back feet and he's turning to me and this guy is I mean, he's big, Reese. This guy had, I've never seen a bear that wide. And this guy's like, you know, double wide trailer standing up. So he's just huge. A big old head. He's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> you look oh, you look good. I think I'll have you instead of fish. <laughs> so he's like just standing up on his back feet. And I, I put the oar down, but I hit the side of the boat. My mistake. And he heard it. He didn't like it. So he goes to, and I bring my gun up and I'm just moving to him and he's over there. And I'm coming off safety, and he jumps in the woods, and my guy's like, why don't you just shoot him through the woods? And I'm like, do you understand what you just said? You want me to just shoot into the woods at a bear? Are we just going to go hike and find it? A wounded grizzly? Yeah, that's a good idea. Glad I chose you as a guide. And then whenever I asked my youth pastor when I got back, why um, do you think he didn't check the water table and make sure that everything was safe? He said, well, this is the same guy that put his gun into my truck and discharged it through the front windshield. At that point, I knew I had made a really bad decision. So I didn't get the bear. We kept on moving downstream, and here we hit some whitewater rapids. And now we have to go around a corner with rocks because the whole river hits the rocks and turns. How many know you can't turn in a canoe when you're doing 45 miles an hour in whitewater rapids? <laughs> this is about what I look like. I'm, I'm rowing as hard as I can, and I'm in front, and I can't turn it. Canoe hits the rocks, turns, fills with water. We fall out calling on the name of the Lord. Literally, I'm yelling Jesus. He's in the back yelling Jesus, because that's who we call out to when we need help. That's, um, that's what we do. So we fall out. I end up against the rocks with the whole river slapping me against the rocks. I'm like, well, this is fun. I think I'm going to lose my face over this. <laughs> and we've lost guns, everything. And so then there's this big log right here. And all of our stuff, we start to put it back in the canoe and bail out the canoe. And we got to go further down. And he's lost his shotgun. And he's telling me that my grandfather gave me that shotgun when I'm 16. Let's just look for it. And we're standing in the river looking for his lost shotgun. So we're looking along this log and he finds it and he comes up like Rambo, like, you know, out of the water with this shotgun. How many been through hunter safety? Anybody been through hunter safety? When you lose a weapon in mud and in water, how many know you don't discharge that weapon in case it gets plugged? He comes out like Rambo. Yes! And he's just letting, I'm like, well, what were you doing? Making sure it worked? <laughs> After you lost it, he's like, he was so excited he found it. He decided the best thing to do was pull it out of the mud and shoot it. So th at this point, I realized, I'm not even going to use quotes for guide anymore. This is not a good thing. And so then we make it down, and pretty soon we get to where the river is not even running thick enough for the canoe. How many know I'm telling you a very bad story? This is a low point in my life. And so we're carrying the canoe. Now, what we used to ride in, we're now carrying. And we get to this bridge, and he rides a bike back and gets the vehicle. I guess I should have picked up on the fact that we were dropping a bike to come back to it. But the whole point of the story was I chose a bad guide. And I want you to know that that ended up being one of the worst experiences of my life. And I'm telling the story in a sermon simply because I want you to know that I will never go on a poorly guided trip ever again. 
simply because of my experiences with this guy. God has given me wisdom in this area. And I want you to know that some of the things that you celebrate in life that are good in your life are because you knew the worst side of things. When you come from a place that's very low and you have some things in your life that are, are blessings, that you consider blessings, they're blessings because you knew what it was like to not have it. Hello, somebody. You know that it's good to work through a relationship with your spouse because you knew what it was like to be lonely without somebody with you. You, knew, you know what it's like to appreciate the love that's been in your life, even if you've lost that love, because you know that God gave you that love for a time period, and thank God that you had it even when you did. Thank God that you have companionship in the church and people around you. Thank God you have hope in Jesus Christ because there are times when you felt hopeless, amen? Amen. Thank God that you have joy in your heart. If you've ever been through bouts of depression, the joy of the Lord becomes your strength and you can celebrate while others just want to sing songs on Sunday. You're over there worshiping in front of the altar because you know you came from a dark place sometimes and now you're standing in light and light looks so much better when you've come from dark places and you celebrate easier and you clap your hands easier and you praise God. God harder because for who much is given much may be required but it's not much of a requirement when you come from a long ways down it's easy to worship God when he's done so much for you I wouldn't be here today without the hand of God my life would have been over but God kept his hand on me so every breath belongs to the Lord every breath has his name on it I'll preach until I'm red in the face if I have to for you to celebrate with me the low points because the low points is where I got my value for the things I celebrate today. The good things came from what I understood when I went through the bad things. Amen, somebody. I'm celebrating with you what God does in the low moments of our life. Joseph helps us to realize that when we don't know why we go through low points, we can know that there is a reason why. God knows the point of the low points, and he will help us through every valley, just like he did with Joseph. Amen, someone. He brought him out on top. Every dream that God gave him that looked like it was going to die, God brought it to fruition. Can you imagine what went through Joseph's head so many times? I guess those were just dreams of a silly little boy at 17. Can you imagine what dreams have tried to die in your life? Let me ask you, if you're still breathing, you still have the greatest opportunity to do whatever God wants you to do. You are one prayer away from an entire different life, entirely different life for all you teachers in here. I, I preach so much better than my grandfather's English. I'll just tell you that right now. This is a step up, folks. I'm so glad to have the glorious gift of perspective from the low points. Today, I go to lunch with my family. Today, I miss my boy because he's up at camp hanging out with friends. <clears throat> Last week, I missed my little girl. Excuse the personal moment. And my dad didn't. But because my dad didn't, 
I do. Because of the hardest parts, I have the highest points. Amen. Let me give you three assurances and I'll let you go barbecue something. <laughs> Whatever you want to do. I'll give you this assurance. Number one, God will find us in our valley. He will find you in your valley. He's called the lily of the valley in scripture. I don't know if you know what that means, but they used to crush the lily of the valley and they would make it into a medicinal <clears throat> potion or medicinal rub that when you put it on something, it would actually create an aesthetic. It would numb. So when the scripture calls Jesus the lily of the valley, it's literally saying he's the aesthetic for life. When you go to God, he deals with the pain in a way that nothing else in life can. You can't deal with the pain with a bottle. You can't deal with it with a drug. That's a, that's, that won't work. Those are low points that keep you at low points. Amen? You want to take your low points and use them to go to high points. So thank God he's the lily of the valley. He's always there with us. How many know the most beautiful roses and flowers are formed in the valley? Amen. <clears throat> Two stories and I'm done. Uh, one story, I'll trim my notes. Laura Richards wrote, uh, writes a beautiful poem. It's more of a short story, really. It's called The House with Golden Windows. It tells the story of a deep rocky gorge and a ravine and a little boy who works on a farm on one side and there's a house on the other side of this deep ravine. And the boy always appreciates the house on the other side of the valley because it has beautiful golden windows. And he sees it every evening. The beautiful windows shine so bright and he's like, man, it must be amazing to live with all of that blessing and all of that money instead of just living in our humble little home, farming the land. He thought what it must be like to live a life of luxury like that. And then one day came and his dad said, hey, you've been working really great on the farm. I want you to take holiday. I want you to take a day off and just do whatever you want. But here's the catch. You have to learn something today. Take the holiday, but you have to learn something. And the boy knew right away what he was going to do. He decided that he was going to go over and he was going to see the house with golden windows. So he packed his lunch and he headed out early in the morning, walking across the difficult ravine through the deep valley. And he was doing well for time, so he sat down and unpacked his lunch and enjoyed his lunch in the valley. And there's beautiful flowers and roses and the most fragrant flowers still grow in the valley today. But he sat there and then he packed up and headed on because he had a destination, the wealthy house with golden windows. And he came out of the ravine on the other side and there sat a humble little cottage with paint peeling and not really what he expected. And so he went to the door and he knocked and he asked, can you tell me where I can find the house with the golden windows? And the young girl there said, oh, this isn't it. If you thought this was it, we're very poor. But I can tell you where the house is. 
as she walked him outside and took him back to the edge of the valley and pointed back across the valley to his house on the other side and said, there's the house with the golden windows, most beautiful golden windows you ever saw in the evening when the sun is setting. You, they have a lot of money. You want to go there. And the boy, confused, he said, you sure? And she's like, yeah, that's the, gold, the house with the golden windows. So encouraged, he came back home. He's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, he ran back through the valley, and he came up out of the valley on his side as the sun was setting, and there was about a quarter left of gold in the windows. And he realized that day that it reestablishes the true value of what he had, that all along his house was the house with golden windows because of the light that was shined on it. And I promise you this, even though valleys are difficult, God will bring light to your life in dark moments that will then illuminate places in you of value. And the value is in that, in the valley. Number two, he changes us in the valley. Trust me and hear me as a pastor. If God does not change your environment or your circumstance when you pray to heaven, know this and be assured of this, he's changing you in the circumstance and the environment. And that is a good thing. And number three, God is preparing you for your mountain. You know why Caleb, when I preached last week, he said, give me my mountain. I talked about Caleb's spirit and how God recognized in numbers that Caleb had a different spirit. The reason why Caleb said, give me my mountain is because he spent 40 years in the wilderness. Caleb was over 80 years old when he said, give me my mountain. But it was because he spent 40 years wandering that he said, that's my mountain. I deserve to go there. I deserve to go to the high places because I've been faithful in the low places. There is a gift from God to you in the valley, and it's called courage. You will take the highest places in your life if you will live for him in the lowest places of your life because it embodies the encouragement and the strength that you need to say, not only do I deserve to go there, but my God has walked me through the places that have developed me so I can survive when I go there. Abraham Lincoln said, as I close, the test of a man's character is not money, but power. You give a man power and you'll truly test his character. I paraphrased but I want you to know that God will not give you your highest moments until he can trust you not to get drunk on the success of those moments. He has to build the character in you before he puts you on the mountaintop. Hey, nobody falls on a mountaintop, amen? And God doesn't just set you there because he knows you can handle it. He's going to make sure that his investment is sound. So he will walk you through your life. He will be with you in the valley. He'll find you there. Number two, he will change you in the valley. And number three, he'll prepare you for your mountaintop. Would you stand with me today? Have I been long enough to impress you that there's value in the valley? I look out here and I can, I know situations that you're going through because you talk to me and I appreciate you giving me that kind of confidence as a pastor. I don't share personal stories from the pulpit of people that are going through things. I'm very cautious about that. 
because it's not my story to tell. But when you go through low points and you survive them, you have a duty to give God glory through your testimony. And when I read to you in Romans 8 that we can give God glory and that we are waiting because the things we are going through produce a far far greater weight of glory in us than what we're going through. We can get through it if we understand that this life, though difficult at times, cannot compare to that which is to come. And so with that, I want to say, give God your all in every moment, everything his, even in the tough moments. I can't tell what your topography of your life is. I don't know what your low moments are. Some of you may have low moments that I will be privileged to escape. Some of my low moments, you have escaped. You haven't had to go through that. But wherever you are today, I promise you, if you'll leave it at Jesus' feet, he will take care of it. He will take care of it. Jesus, I love you so much today. I ask that if there's someone carrying a weight in their heart today that's heavier than they should be carrying, if someone is trying to scale a mountain and they still are in the valley, God, would you find them there today? Would you help them to seek out the answer? Whatever it may be, let them know that you are the answer to all the questions. Change us in the valley, Lord, if you desire. Let us be willing to be changed. Lord God, it's the hardest thing to to pray, change me. That's the hardest place to be. But in that valley, in that character-building moment, you establish some things. Establish your will in each person's life in this room today. Lord God, do your work in us so that we can do your work in the earth. There's some people in here that have high moments that are coming, that are just around the corner, but if they give up now, if they stop serving you now, they'll never know how good that moment will be because all they know is the valley. I pray for someone who's been in the valley for a long time. I release healing in their body right now. I release hope in their heart right now. If there's someone in this room that's going through a valley and you just, today maybe I've resonated with you and you've said, you know what, there is value here. I don't know what God's up to, but I know I can trust him. How many believe you can trust him? If you, if you believe you can trust him, would you just raise a hand and just say, God, I'm gonna trust you with it. I don't know how I'm gonna pay this bill. I don't know how I'm gonna deal with this situation, but God, I'm gonna trust you with it. Now, if you have your hand raised or you had a situation that you know you cannot handle on your own, would you bring it to this altar today? Would you bring it to Jesus? Maybe there's somebody in here that thought of giving up. The thought of giving up has been going through your mind. I just don't know if I can take this anymore. There is, there is a mountaintop for you if you surrender in this valley. If you give it all to him in this valley, he will reset your perspectives. He'll show you the places where God has put gold in the windows in your life, where he's given great gifts. And your perspective will change and you will see all the value and all the importance and all the wonderful things in your life. There's people everywhere right now praying. Come on, give him your valley. 
You weren't meant to carry it. You weren't meant to go into that valley alone. Do like David and pick up some smooth stones and put them in your pocket because you'll be able to fight that battle better if you go with God. This morning, take Jesus through your valley. In Jesus' name.